So we continue our series through Romans and series that makes sense of life. And we're in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through to Romans 8, 23, which is quite an extensive passage. But we start with the first, you know, we, we were not ashamed of the gospel, if you remember last week. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, both Jew, both Jew and Gentile. Not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, friends. Power of God at work. The good news of the gospel. <clears throat> so when I look at that, we go into the first point, which is not what you expect. This, this beginning, this climb of this mountain, and we see the gospel, and then we go into this valley of what? Of sin. We're looking at, at the, the dark place, the deep place, uh, the place that we don't want to go to. We don't want to think of that we are more sinful than we could, we could even possibly imagine, but we are more loved than we could dare to possibly believe. And that's the, the truth. And so when we look at the truth about God, and we sang some songs around this this morning, but I'm going to read from uh, Romans 1, verse 18 to 20, <clears throat> and it's from the New Living Translation. God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth contained in that word. Such truth contained in, in this passage of Scripture. And I pray that even as I share from that this morning, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, let this be a spirit of revelation upon us. We want to see you, Lord. But we also want to see how you see us and, and our state. And, and I know, Holy Spirit, that you convict of guilt with regards to sin and righteousness, even judgment to come. Help us to be mindful of that, Lord. Help us to see as through new eyes and a new light, to see ourselves and to see even the, the glories of, of, of the, the good news through that lens, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we only have to look at this creative world to see that there must be a creator, there must be a God. Take the time to look around. There's a world of beauty to be found, as my mom had on a coffee cup. <laughs> And I loved it because it reminded me every time. And Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2, and we sang about this this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. As an artist reveals their personality on canvas, so God displays His eternal power and divine nature in creation. Friends, I've been up, uh, I mentioned this cave I went to, just called Vast Cave. And up in the mountains, in the, it's a national heritage, world heritage actually, a site, the Drakensberg Mountain Range in South Africa, not far from where we grew up. And we would go there annually. And I, and I remember, I told you, my son's birthday, we went to this cave. And, and when you looked out, there was no light pollution. It was just a beautiful uh, Milky Way, the stars, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, you don't get to see them, but in the Southern Hemisphere, it's just amazing. It's just, and, and uh, we'll look, that's the picture that you see on the screen, is of the Milky Way. 
And uh, I just battled to choose pictures because there were so many that are, are so powerful. And, and it can be clearly seen. This Milky Way spiral galaxy that is our galaxy, our solar system, uh, is, is part of that. But we're using that as a model for a moment. 100,000 light years across. Now, I don't... That's, that's, you know, we can multiply the number of stars, 100 billion stars, by the number of galaxies in the universe. They estimated there were 100 billion galaxies, but now they say there's 2 trillion galaxies. So we start from 100 billion stars in each galaxy, and there's 2 trillion galaxies. And the answer is an absolutely astounding number, approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. And in a single verse, as Carol prayed out this morning, Psalm 147 verse 4, he determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. And he knows you by name. And you are engraved in the palm of his hands. So another psalm says, <clears throat> Many of you have heard me mention Tim Keller. He's gone to the Lord now, to be with the Lord. But he was a pastor in Manhattan, New York. He said that in a 1970 Sunday school teacher changed his life with a simple illustration. Teacher said, let's assume the distance between the earth and the sun is 92 million miles and let's reduce it to this little piece of paper, the distance between here and the sun, just a single sheet of paper. And then he said, the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. And the diameter of just our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. So you go from this single sheet of paper to 310 miles of paper up. And he said, that his teacher added, the galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. Yet Jesus holds the universe together by the power of his word. Finally, the teacher asked her students, now is this the kind of person you'd like to ask into your life to be your assistant? <laughs> and I think Tim Keller was like, yes. <laughs> How great you are, Lord. How great you are. So God's revealed his nature through his creation. No one has an excuse. His divine fingerprints are all over the natural world. His eternal presence can be sensed by the human soul. I mean, you just look at anything, a flower, and there's 10,000 species of orchids alone, I think, or more than that. I mean, we could... But God's making himself known to you. We may not like it. We may deny it, but it's revealed all the same. And so through creation, through the Bible, through preaching, through the lives of believers, through circumstances, even directly to your spirit. Friends, that's why you're here today. And there's much good and beautiful things in this world, but there's also plenty of brokenness. And Paul argues the, the following. He says that God's wrath is being revealed against sin to all people. And the kindness and severity of God are these two truths in tension. Two inseparable sides of the same coin. The kindness and the severity of God. But you cannot have one at the expense of the other. How many wings do you need in an airplane? <laughs> you need both. You can't fly the plane with one wing. It's the same sort of picture. You need both sides. These two truths and tension. Both the kindness and the severity of God. The love and yes, also the angle wrath. <laughs> You see, God's wrath is not wild, it's not unhinged, but it's an extension of God's love, rooted in God's nature as a creator who cares for this world. 
And he even expresses anger to the way it's being destroyed. And even ourselves willing to destroy and be destroyed. So the second point this morning is the truth about sin. Not just the truth about ourselves or the truth, sorry, about God. Is that uh, the, the truth about the following, sin. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who by their wickedness prevented the truth from being known. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark, confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. The truth about sin is that culture and society often advocate values opposed to those of God. They suppress the truth by wickedness, putting things the wrong way around, exchanging that which is good for evil and, and bitter for sweet and turning things all around. And so the world's dismissive, the, the Western world particularly, of, of Bible values or Bible teaching, especially on the area of sexuality. And Paul uh, picks this up and, and, he, and he focuses a little bit on that. And we'll look at that for a moment. But, but they, the world would say that's unloving. That's, that's hate speech. That's not in line with British values. And then we have to ask ourselves, well, who is the final authority? Is God's word and, and God the final authority? Because if his word is, and I believe it is, inerrant, infallible, absolute, it's authoritative, and it's set out a way to express ourselves and express our sexuality, and yet the non-Christian world has always challenged that. And even historically, the Bible's been outlawed, and more recently, well, that's hate speech. You know, you can't quote that. You can't speak from that part of the Bible. And this particular chapter addresses that particular passage. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but then their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, it's a slippery slope. And if we go to the next slide, you'll see creation. God reveals Himself. God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. We've just seen that just through the looking at the stars. But, but uh, then the, the next slippery st step or slope is, is sin, that we reject God. We, we, we turn our backs and we exchange the glory of God for images and and then the consequence of that is judgment. God's wrath revealed. And it says, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts. Friends, if God gives you over, where can you turn? If you've turned your back on God, where else can you go? Where else will your hope lie? And those walking out of darkness, as it's been said, will need to turn to the light of the gospel. To turn from darkness, to turn to light, to God. And so Paul defines sin as idolatry. It's exchanging the glory of God for images and worshiping created things rather than creator. And friends, we often immediately think, well, that's bowing down to statues. And that's perhaps part of the Asian or Eastern part of the world where people do a lot of that. And maybe few of us do that today. Although if you go to, uh, is it Tasker's, the whole checkout aisle is full of, what are those? Buddhas. Shing Suis or something. Those things. <laughs> We could think, well, that's, that's, we don't have one of those in our house or one of the, in our garden or whatever. But friends, it's, it's really, what idolatry is, is um, it's, it's really exchanging anything for God. That's what idolatry is. Wherever our affections are displaced and, and, and given over to something. 
And so it's not just doing bad things, but putting good things in the place of God. Idolatry is worshipping anything that humans have made instead of worshipping the God who made humans. We're hardwired to worship. If we reject the living God, you'll find alternative shrines, maybe shopping centers, maybe office, your office where you spend more time than you should, you know, maybe a beauty salon or a gym. How many people spend so much time focusing? And there's mirrors there for a reason because it's, it's idolatrous. And why do you have mirrors in places like that? And uh, what sacrifices do we make in order to put, to put or find significance and security? And Tim Keller puts it this way, and I quote from him, there has to be something which is the resting place of our deepest hopes and which can calm our deepest fears. It becomes our bottom line, the thing we cannot live without, defining and validating everything we do. So friends, what are the idols in our culture here in Liverpool? Here's a clue. The moment I mentioned we had a grandson, what have you dressed him? What colors have you put him in? I said, what do you mean? He's a boy. He's <laughs> like, no, no, is he, have you put him in a Liverpool football outfit? I said, he's four weeks old. No, no, you can get them that small. You just need to have dressed him. I said, we've got people who are Everton supporters in our church. Can you imagine? I could lose half the church. <laughs> no, you know, that, you just have to go to a footy match to see these worship there. People would be giving themselves over in, in ecstatic if they're winning, that is, <laughs> or in like very upset if they're not. But, but uh, you've got to be forgiven for thinking it was a matter of life or death. But as a former Liverpool manager, Bill Shankly famously quipped, it's far more important than that. <laughs> and I'd thought, friends, we would see that with all the Liverpool supporters and um, especially when they won some trophies, man. <laughs> Big procession, you know, everybody's out. We can laugh, but you see, idolatry is not a harmless thing. It has a negative effect on us when we exchange the truth for lies. We become futile in our thinking and darkened in our hearts, given over to dissipation, given over to lusts. When you want something so much, you become obsessed with it and controlled by it, going in overdrive to have it. That's the nature of bondage. The very thing you hope for would fulfill you, ruins you. Sin takes you further. It takes you further than you want to go. You end up staying longer and it costs you so much more than you're willing to pay. And take the sexuality issue that Paul flags up. You know, creation, God's created sexual union. It's a good gift for a husband and wife to enjoy. But through sin, we exchange the gift for substitutes, adultery and extramarital. It's not an extramarital affair. It's, it's adultery. You call it for what the Bible calls it and whether it's fornication before marriage or whether it's pornography or impurity, that's an exchanging, you know, it's a counterfeit. And then the judgment, we, our disordered desires lead to lust and brokenness and abuse. And friends, we see that in an epidemic level because the nature of it is often secretive. So often, so secretive and in darkness. That's where the enemy loves to operate, in darkness. <coughs> So he, Paul expands this list to other behaviors and attitudes that depart from God's pattern, ones that perhaps focus a bit less on envy. You know, are we coveting somebody's stuff or looking over the hedge or fence or whatever? Oh, look at their deckies or look at their this or that or whatever it is. <laughs> or envy, I mean, gossip. Gossip, friends, it's like tasty morsels. That, but it, it, it will choke you. It will... It will it's, it's, it's something that's so easy to slip off the tongue, but it's, would we say that if the person was in our presence? And that challenges me, and it should challenge us together. How would that person feel if they were standing here right now? 
And uh, unfortunately, it's very evident. Bibi, in fact, has, has had to c cut some of her conversations in the workplace. I cannot go there because so much of it is just undermining and just dishonoring. And, 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 it's, and it grieves Bibi. And she can't talk to some people because that's all they want to do. And, uh, and then disloyalty, you know. We all fail or fall short, regardless of religion or orientation or ethnicity. And society suffers when these disordered desires run wild. And there's another quote here by David Foster Wallace. He says, When we worship idols, we become enslaved by their dark side. Worship money and you will live in fear of never having enough. That's quite a statement. Worship body image or beauty and you'll feel ugly and inadequate by comparison. Think about that for a moment. Worship intellect and being smart, and you'll always feel like a fraud on the verge of being found out. This country is highly educated. I felt that there was a different principality in this nation when I arrived. What qualifications have you got? What um, you know, titles have you got or whatever? It, it's an, it might not be as overt, but it's there. What school? What education? What tertiary education? What, it's there, friends. It's there. In short, apart from the living God, pretty much everything else will eat you alive. And then God's anger, friends, is against humanity is motivated by love. He hates to see us destroy ourselves, but he won't override your and my decisions. He gives us over to the consequences of our choices in the hope that his kindness will lead us to repentance. Because every decision has outcomes or destiny and, and consequence. And, and, we, and, and that's unfortunately the nature of sin is that there is consequence. Candy-coated poison. It didn't taste good. We wouldn't do it. But it's this thing. Like, oh, there's a moment's pleasure, but there can be a lifetime of regret. So there's a truth about us in Romans 2, verse 1 to 3, and then verse, chapter 3, verse 23. And I read from the New Living Translation. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And when you know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And then it goes on to say in Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know, Romans 1 it addresses the idolatry of Gentiles. And you can imagine the Jewish readers listening or hearers thinking, I'm glad that's not true of me. But in Romans 2, Paul turns on the Jewish readers and he tells them they're just as guilty. You see, if Romans 1 condemns the unrighteous prodigal types, Roman turns, Romans 2 turns on the self-righteous Pharisee types who think their religious deeds put them in a different category or this kind of higher ground. Basically, Romans 2 pulls the rug under proud feet and condemns the higher ground moralism, the false religion guilty of hypocrisy. You pass judgment on them and yet you do the same things. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? It goes on to say. It's so easy to identify with other people's sin than it is in our own. We tend to look at ourselves with what I would call rose-tinted glasses and we look at everybody else with a magnifying glass. I remember when I was growing up in, in my teens and I remember pointing out something to my I might have actually been in my 20s. I pointed out something to my sister and uh, 
in her life, my sister Sandy, she's only two years older than me, and she came back and she said, what about removing the log in your own eye before trying to remove the speck in mine? <laughs> and I just like, oh, yeah, she was like, you know, calling me out. And then I remember also a leader in a youth camp, he said, why do you always have to keep justifying yourself? And I went, but I don't. And he said, despite what we've been told or believed by ourselves, Romans resonates deeply with what we know about ourselves. But by the grace of God go I. Alexandra Solzhenitsyn, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, and the Gulag Archipelago. Archipelago, it's quite a mouthful. The, dividing, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? It's like, it's in us. Paul offends his reader, or every reader, with this letter. He's not, he's not going to allow the Gentiles to claim ignorance and see God's given, him, given them his divine nature. He's given evidence of his divine nature through creation. And neither is he going to allow the, the Jewish um, readers to judge Gentiles, thinking they exempt. He says, for all, all have sinned, the scripture that's on the board this morning, and fall short of God's glory. None of us, friends, are able to measure up. All of us are in need of mercy. Non-Christians believe that Christians judge them with a holier-than-thou attitude, and yet the gospel confronts all of us equally. We're all in need of a Savior. And as I conclude this morning, who do you most identify with? The unrighteous sinner in Romans 1 who rejects God's pattern or the self-righteous person in Romans 2 who's prone to judging them? Judging others. I probably started with Romans 1 and then I moved into Romans 2. The more I walked with Jesus, it's so easy to see. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like all of us need to repent. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And the moment we repent, we turn to God and we get another chance. The possibility of a new life. It's not just turning away from sin, but it's turning towards God. That's repentance. Through faith in the blood of Jesus, we receive a, an imparted righteousness, a gift of righteousness. It's, it's imputed. Because He is righteous, He can declare you righteous. And if this is your life and it's my life, it's like His righteousness through the cross of Christ is imputed to us. But friends, there's a whole lot of you under there. There's a whole lot of me under there. And then it needs to be imparted into our lives. That's sanctification. <laughs> that's, that's the righteousness that needs to... We change from glory to glory to become more and more like Christ. And uh, we receive this gift of righteousness and through that the peace, the forgiveness, the freedom and the cleansing which we will come to in a moment. And friends, Romans is a dose of realism. It cultivates honesty. We exchange, where are we exchanging the truth about God for a lie? Worshipping created things rather than the Creator. Where is their truth? Where are their lies? Ask yourself, what lies have I believed about God? And there's a song we're going to sing that uh, Michael flagged up. Uh, was Back in the day, Keith Green was just an incredible musician, so anointed, and, and he, he had a song, Created Me a Clean Heart. And, uh, and it's based on Psalm uh, 103. Now, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. And so when you identify lies, seek out the truth in the Bible. Ask God to help you exchange the lie for the truth. 
We're all sinners, aren't we? It's only pride that prevents us from becoming more open, honest, accountable with each other. And it starts by recognizing the Creator, His kindness, His creativity, His care through creation. And then identify our, our idols. What are the potential idols in your life which are in danger of taking the place rightly deserving by God or deserved by God? Ask yourself these questions. What do I spend most time thinking about? What do I invest in, in most with my time, my energy, my money? What distracts me from my devotion to God? What do I fear most losing? And whether you're judging others and have that tendency or whether you're identifying, rather I say, Lord, speak to me. You know, rather we judge ourselves lest we be judged. It's like, God, help me to do that this morning. And maybe even if we discriminate in some way, God, if there's any way that I look down upon anyone, help me not to do that this morning. In the face of wickedness, Paul, looking at Rome, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We can say that too. In all that's around us, we're not ashamed of the gospel. And friends, this is a picture of this diamond. The darker culture becomes, the brighter the gospel shines like this diamond ring against a dark black backdrop. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you that you are merciful and you are loving and forgiving. Even though we rebel against you, even though yet we were in sin, you, you, you died while we were at our worst. You gave yourself up. And I thank you that even where we turn away and we try and rule our own lives, even where we make ourselves judge and we judge others, Lord, and rule over others, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for condemning others silently or even audibly while ignoring ourselves and our own prejudice or discrimination or, or self-righteous attitudes, even sinful behavior. God, you are our hope this morning. There's love and forgiveness and hope in you this morning to heal, to forgive, to restore. Forgive us, Lord. Guide us through your words and your deeds. Our th- guide our thoughts, guide our deeds, guide us in every way possible that we may live ways that honour you. And we pray this, Lord, in your precious name, Jesus. Christ Jesus, our Lord. For you alone are worthy. For you alone are worthy. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. We come to, and even at this time of year, we choose to, to set our hearts on you and adore you. In Jesus' name.